what a privilege and honor it is to be here today. And uh, I want to just immediately, uh, I have a prayer request this morning. Brother Sam Howard texted me right before I walked to the pulpit today. Um, Many of you know that uh, Brother Adrian Howard, his youngest son, was involved in a tragic accident. And uh, in fact, his family's here today. They texted me right before service and asked us to have prayer uh, because he was supposed to be released from the hospital today and the doctors are worried about infection. And uh, Brother Sam Howard, in my opinion, is one of the greatest evangelists on the field today. And uh, I want us just to stop right now, if you would, and let's pray for this young man, Adrian Howard, and ask God for a miracle today. Would you help me do that? Jesus, dear Lord, in your name, by the power of your blood and in the name of Jesus, God, it's in your name and it's by your blood that these things are done. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We will be going to Jeremiah, the 15th chapter and the third verse. And uh, while you're going there, I want to make a, uh, a couple of statements. Uh, the first one is thank you. Uh, thank you, Youth Committee, for uh, the honor of, and the trust of me being in this pulpit today. And then also, uh, boy, this WPF Youth Committee and is a first-class operation. The room and the baskets and the accommodations and the cadets and and uh, man, I'm gonna go home. I'm not even. I'm gonna keep looking around for somebody to do things for me, and they're not gonna be there. But anyway, it's been it's been a good few days. Um, uh, Brother Parado, tremendous last night. My God. What a start to this conference. And then I can't I can't wait to get out of the way and turn it over to Brother Young and Brother. Uh, Jackson and Brother Urshan. In fact, I prayed for you men this morning and asked God to just anoint you on a level that you've never been anointed before. I feel like, I feel like this is a very, very important year. Um, I don't know why I feel an urgency uh, this year. It's, uh, it's, it's got a different feel to it. I believe we sit on the very precipice of the return of Jesus Christ. I think there is a high, high, high possibility that this could very well be the last peak conference that we ever have. That when we gather again, we're shouting on the hills of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, um, I'm going to read my scripture, but before I do, I want to tell you that, um, I've put a lot of prayer and fasting into the message I'm about to preach and realizing that it is not, it's not a popular message, but I know without a shadow of a doubt, it's right in this place today. And if God will have his way, I will not be preaching to the majority of you here. Well, you know what I am going to be? I'm going to be preaching to everyone. But I believe without a shadow of a doubt, God's going to pinpoint some particular young people in this place today. And for you, you're going to be called a little deeper. Hallelujah. God's going to do something special. God's going to reach today. You know, God knows who to, he knows how to do it. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 15. And verse 3, Jeremiah the 15th chapter and the third verse today. Hallelujah. Well, I was going to read it off the screen, but I guess they've decided not to put it up there. There it is. And I will appoint over them four kinds, saith the Lord, the sword to slay. The dogs to tear, the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the earth to devour 
and destroy. Verse 4. And I will cause them to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did, for that which he did in Jerusalem, I believe. Yes. All of this devastation, all of this earth-shaking devastation because of one man. A people in a land is ripped apart, it's destroyed. The devourers come from four different directions. And it's all... This, this destruction happens on what seemingly would be innocent people. Because of one man's sin. I want to preach to you for the next few minutes a subject that is so personal to me that I don't like to preach it. If I preach this message, it's because God just absolutely won't let me have another direction because it does something deep in my spirit. But I want to preach to you young people today the scars of sin. The scars of sin. Would you lift your hands and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to start this message with a proclamation and an announcement. And that is the fact that I am not doing what I'm doing. I'm not living for God because I am afraid of being lost. I'm not living for God today because I am fearful of going to hell. I'm not doing this because I like the Sunday school department. I'm not doing this because I like to sing in the choir. Hallelujah. I'm not doing this because I like the youth group that I'm a part of. I am doing this today because I love Jesus Christ with everything that is within me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet I am in love with him I'm in love with him I must tell you that I am fully convinced standing here today that if there was no heaven, and I know, I know that there is, and there was no hell, and you better never forget that there is. But if there was no heaven, and there was no hell, I wouldn't change anything about the way I live, the way I dress. It is a blessed life. It is the only life. It is the only way to live. I'm in love with God. I'm in love with his church. I'm in love with his economy. I love what I'm doing with everything that is within me. Please be seated. But with that, with that in mind, with that in mind, I... I have realized some things of late in Christendom. Maybe not in the 
apostolic movement, but in Christendom as a whole. And that is the fact that even in this day of great decadence that our great preacher spoke of last night, in this day that America seems to be turning from God on a scale that she never has before, even in spite of that environment, it is hard to find people that do not confess a love for God. There seems to be a surplus of people that love God. There seems to be a surplus plus of people that confess a love for Him with all of their hearts. The problem is that that same Christendom is mingling sin in their relationship on a scale that is boggling to my mind today. It is mind-boggling the things that people can involve themselves in while still professing a deep love for Jesus Christ, a deep love for God's church, a deep love for Christianity. And so I want to preach today. And in this preaching, I want to preach with a deep compassion from a young man that was raised in Pentecost and has, I'm almost maybe going to preach my testimony a little bit today. Not necessarily, but I do have a testimony. And I, I, I want to preach to you today because of the fact that this thing of living for God has got to have a second dimension to it. I want to announce to you today that you can't only profess or confess a love for God. You have also got to have a deep hatred for sin. And what seems to be so missing in 2014 in so many areas is not the lack of a love for God, but a lack of hatred for sin. Can I, can I tell you the day that a battery, a battery has two posts. It has a positive and a negative. And as much as we think that positive side is important, I'm going to tell you, sugar, that car won't crank if that negative post is unhooked either. And it takes both to drive the engine of relationship. In fact, I want to announce to you that your love for God can only be as deep as. It can only be as powerful as. And only equal to your hatred for sin. If you don't have a deep hatred for sin, then there's something wrong. There's a shallowness to your love for God. I'd even have a job on my hands today if my purpose in this house was to come and get people to profess a love for God if my problem today was getting people to fall in love for Jesus Christ in this arena I wouldn't have much of a job to do I believe from front to back all the way up uh, the sides uh, everywhere in this arena every soul in this building I believe there is a, a love for Jesus Christ I believe that's why you're here that's why you some of you have taken your vacation and spent your vacation money and raised money all year you're here because you love Jesus Christ and you love his church but I'm going to tell you in the environment of 2004 in the United States of America I believe the job that I have before me today is to put in your spirit or help develop a hatred for sin when you walk out of this building I want you to hate sin on a level that you've never hated it before if there's anything we need to be baptized with today it is a hatred a deep hatred for sin
One writer, one writer said it this way. Speaking of the apostolic movement, he said we need to make sin exceedingly evil. I'm telling you, I want to paint sin ugly today. I don't want you to think of sin as a cute plaything. As something to laugh behind your hand at. As something that's just kind of cute. And, and, and something that's just kind of funny. And I, I want sin. When I get through, I want you to view sin for the ugly, horrible hag and beast that it really is. Sin is a horrible thing. Sin is an ugly thing. Sin wants to rip your home and your family and your life and your future apart. But most of all, and above all else, I want you to understand that sin scars Sin scars. And it scars deep. Jeremiah went to the potter's house. And the Bible says that the vessel was marred in the hands of the potter. And we get the indication that whatever area would not yield was taken out. And it didn't say that he started over to make it again. It says he started over to make it again another vessel. Sin scars. It scars to the point that it appears from that story that you can no longer be the original vessel, but it's made again another vessel. I want to preach to you about the scars of sin. The reason I have such an intensity today is because I'm preaching to young people. I'm preaching to people who the canvas of your life, most of you by and large, even though you may think that you've taken some hits, by and large, your canvas is still beautiful. Your canvas is still empty. Most of you, only 10% of your canvas or 15% of your canvas has even taken marks or color yet. And I want to preach to you while your canvas is still empty. And I want to put in you a hatred for sin. I know you love God. But I've come with a mission from the throne today to get you to hate sin and despise sin on a level that you never hated it before. I want you to understand that hell has its target on you. Sin wants to mar you in the hands of the potter as God is trying to work with you and God is trying to form you. I'm telling you, sitting before me today are apostolic evangelists and apostolic preachers. Sitting before me today are missionaries. Some of you are on the, on the very paradigm of a shift in Pentecost. Pentecost, as, as we know it, if God tarries, will be changed by some of you that sit in this building right now. There's young people that sit in this building that God has you slated for the next great things that's going to happen. And I'm telling you, hell is after you to mar you in the hands of the potter. Hell wants to mar you. Be seated. I got a long way to go. And so I want to talk to you about the scars of sin. We live in an hour where billions, billions of dollars have been spent over the last number of decades to erase scars. I went online last night to update and make sure I was still correct. And today in 2014, according to one of the leading, pa uh, leading plastic surgeons in the world, he says on his website that scars cannot be erased. 
They can be diminished. They can be made to blend in with the skin and the tissue around them. But they cannot be taken away. They can be pulled into the hairline. They can be pulled down behind the clothing line to where others cannot see them. But the truth of the matter is today I'm not concerned with what others think. I'm concerned about the scars that the carrier carries. That when the party's over and the lights are turned out and everybody goes home and they're just robing for bed that evening, they're again confronted with their scar. Scars are ever-present reminder of past tragedy. When scars are seen, there is a flood of memories and pictures and visions and pain and heartache. Sometimes the face flushes with embarrassment. When we remember, the, the scar takes you back to the tragedy. It is the scars that are ever-present reminder. Scars is the thing that rips back the curtain. You see, that there are things that goes on in our life that we're ashamed of. Things that we really wish we could pull a curtain on. We, we want to pull a curtain on that and pretend that, that that was another person, another lifetime, another season. That was not me. That was someone else. I, I, I didn't do that. Just pull the curtain and ignore and pretend that it never happened. But it is the scar. It is the scar that jerks the curtain back. It is the scar that appoints its accusing finger and reminds you again yes it is you oh yes you're the one you thou art the man I'm preaching to you today young people I want to put a hatred in you for sin I want you to understand that sin wants to scar you to the point that you can't be the vessel that God Desires and want you to be. Like the man, and I've heard so many stories. You see, I, I realized last night preparing for this and I told my wife, I said, I, I could tell so many stories that I could take up, I could take up my entire time allotted just telling stories of people with scars. But I'll mingle them all into one story and tell you that there's countless stories of men who Drinking and in a drunken stupor loads their family in the car and belligerently drives off into the night until there's the crashing of glass and the ripping of metal. Later, they get full of the Holy Ghost and get in the church. Yeah. They want to pull a curtain. They want to pretend that's in another life. That's someone else. And I know right now, I'm with you, brother. We live in a day of people that don't hear messages anymore. They analyze them. And so I realize that I'll get criticism, but that's all right. Because they get in the church and they get full of the Holy Ghost. And we quote the scripture that our sins are cast in the sea of forgetfulness. But you see, you see, sooner or later... A young couple in the church is going to come over for coffee and they're going to pick up a photo album and they're going to flip through the photo album and there's going to be a picture of a beautiful little girl and they're going to say, who's that? I didn't know you had another daughter and that man's going to hang his head in shame. Because there's a grave out there in the cemetery. It's got fresh flowers on it. Those pictures can't be taken off the wall. And so when everybody's gone, the wife's at the grocery store. There's a Holy Ghost filled man that's living in a good man's hell. Has God forgiven him? Sure God's forgiven him. Is it gone? Of course it is. He's going to look at that little blonde-headed girl. When nobody's there but him, he's going to look at that picture. And he's going to say, I'm sorry, baby. I am so sorry. And he's going to live with a scar. You can tell the same story. 
You can talk about a man that lives with widened doorways to accommodate a wheelchair. You can talk about a man that lives in a bathroom now that's been updated with all the fixtures for a boy that's handicapped. And a man that sits in his recliner and watches his boy sit in a wheelchair and watch the boys play football in the neighborhood out of plate glass window. And a daddy that says, I took that from him. I'm in the church now. I shout on Sunday night. I run the aisles. But I live with a scar. My son would never accuse me. He would never hurt me. He would never say anything to me. But his very condition accuses me every day. <laughs> I want to come against a misnomer to young people with, with, with unpainted canvases. I want to tell you that sin is luring you. Sin is showing you the beautiful pictures. And sin showing you all the wonderful things. But I want to tell you that sin will, listen to me, sin will scar you. It'll scar you. You'll live with it. This was the story of the man that I read in your hearing. My God, the clock is haunting me. I got to go. But the man that I read to you in your hearing, his name was Manasseh. Just very quickly, Manasseh did not live uh, in the way that his father raised him. You can find his story in the word of God. Jeremiah refers back to him and he says, poor old Manasseh. You see, Manasseh decided that he was going to go into all kind of debauchery and decadence and sin and ungodliness and idolatry. And he reintroduced all the things that his father Hezekiah was militant to, to take out. And, and, and you, you know what happened? God judged him. The Bible tells us uh, that, that, that he found himself, Manasseh found himself in the floor of a peasant prison re repenting. The crown had been ripped off of his head and the, the, the scepter had been ripped out of his hand and maybe he was in his own body fluids in the bottom of a peasant prison. The word of God says they actually drug him with hooks into Babylon to put him in prison. His sin caused God to put them in slavery. But there he repented. And as God always does when people repent, God forgives them. When Manasseh repented, God wiped his slate clean. And Manasseh was miraculously put back on his throne. Do you understand what a miraculous thing that is? Only God. Only God can put a king out of slavery back on his throne. It's a powerful thing that repentance is. Back on that throne, Manasseh becomes very militant to tear down the high places. He says, get rid of the idols, tear down the high places. Oh, we got to live for God. We got to live for Jehovah. He does everything. But the Bible says some very haunting words. And that's Manasseh. And I'm paraphrasing. But Manasseh, it's a lot easier to lead people into sin than it is to lead them out, isn't it? And Manasseh lived in what I want to term a good man's hell. I'm going to tell you what sin can do to you. Sin, my God, I'm telling you some of the biggest choices you're going to make. You're going to make before you're old enough to even understand what those choices are. Now I'm going to tell you what sin wants to do to you. Sin wants to make you live in hell while going to heaven. That's what sin will do. Sin will put you in a hell on earth while going to heaven. And I want to stop somebody today. 
I want to get on my knees and beg some young person sitting in the bleacher somewhere. I want to beg you to get out of the sinning business. You don't understand what you're doing. Please be seated. I got a long way to go. Listen, I appreciate you helping me today. Please keep doing that. Manasseh had to live his life knowing, understanding that the people that he had led into sin were going to continue into that sin. Their attitude to him was, hey, man, you led us here. We're enjoying it. We don't have to turn around just because you are. I was preaching in a little town in East Texas when I was an evangelist. I preached this message. When I got through, an older man came up to me. He was a huge man. Brother Joel Booker, he was your father's size. And he wrapped his arms around my neck. And he put his weight on me weeping. And it drove me to my knees. And as I knelt there on my knees with that man laying over me, he said, Brother Copeland, please preach this message everywhere you go. Preach this message in every church. He said, because you see, I was raised in this little church. And I married and started a family in this church. And I got offended at the preacher when my kids were small. And I raised them in the world. And he said, when they got up older teenagers, I realized the trouble they were getting in. And I ran back to the church. I knew where the hope was. And I ran back to the church. And I got full of the Holy Ghost. And, and their mama got full of the Holy Ghost. And he said, but I couldn't turn my kids. I, I waited too late to turn my kids. He said, I got a boy that's an alcoholic. I got a girl that's a drug addict. He said, they're destroying their lives and there's nothing I can do about it. He said, Brother Copeland, can I ask you a question? He said, it's two-part. I got a two-part question. The first one is, how do you enjoy living for God when your kids are going to hell? And secondly, secondly, how, how, how will heaven be heaven? To a man who put his babies in hell. How can I enjoy heaven? I sent my babies to hell. I'm preaching in this youth conference. Begging young people to do more than just love God. While toying with sin and viewing sin as some kind of pretty plaything to snicker about. Sin isn't funny. Sin isn't cute. Sin isn't humorous. Sin is dangerous and deadly and ripping and tearing. It rips and tears and destroys. Be seated. Sin, sin don't just scar you in the flesh. Sin, sin scars you in the countenance. I'm going to tell you, sin, sin scars your conscience. And sin scars your psyche. And sin scars your memory. And sin scars your reputation. In fact, the sin that scars your psyche literally morphs you 
into a different thing than you would have been. Once you've been involved in sin, you can never be what you would have been. You're changed by the sin. Somebody said that how how do you how do you reconcile the scriptures? You repent and your sins are washed in the sea of forgetfulness. You, you, you repent and you, you, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson. They shall... Brother Colin, how do you reconcile that with Galatians 6 and 7? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm, I'm going to tell you a truth tonight, today, that is going to shatter a misnomer that hell tells every young person that wants to live for God. I can't count the times I've heard the flippant spirit. Well, I'll sin tonight and I'll repent tomorrow. I'll sin and I'll go to the altar. I'll get it right and God will wash it away. I want every young person in this place to hear me today. Repentance only takes care of eternity. I can find no evidence that repentance does one thing for this life. One of the saddest occasions I've ever had was a preacher that sat in my office and I love him so much. He's in a nursing home today, and I pray if his wife's listening to this broadcast, she'll give me mercy for using his story. One of the greatest preachers, and he's preached for men that's in this arena today. But he's sitting in my office in his early 50s with tears streaming. And he said, I was a very wicked man, a very wicked man. And I got the Holy Ghost, and God forgave me. And I was able to preach this precious gospel and this precious truth. But my sin of my 20s has caught me in my 50s. And all the drugs and the dope and the nightclubs has taken my mind. God is a just God. He forgave me. I'll have a wonderful eternity. But I got to pay i got to pay. He said, it's time for me to pay the fiddler. And within just a few short months, they would take that brilliant man who once had a brilliant mind and put him in a nursing home with Alzheimer's and dementia. And he said, I know what it is, Brother Copeland. It's the drugs, it's the LSD and the marijuana and the lifestyle. Oh, it's quiet in this arena. But you hear me. Young lady, you can, you can get pulled into a situation. I'm going to preach to you in mercy. You get pulled into a situation. And in a compromising situation, you can get talked into things you really don't want to do. But, but the situation, do something. The minute it's over, regret it and run to an altar and say, God, wash it, forgive me. God wash God. But if the seed of a child has been planted in your womb, you can't repent enough to not have that baby. 
God won't even remember it. But I'm going to tell you, people aren't that kind. They'll never forget. If you live to be 80 years old and God gives that child longevity, it don't matter where that daddy winds up. One of the last things on earth that will happen to you is your scar will lay a rose on your casket. It will live with you the rest of your life. Hosea says it this way. I, you know what? I wish it ended there. I, I, I want to convince this crowd today. I want to convince every teenager, every young person in this building. And I'm going to tell you right now, right now, if I would let people stand... In the, the, this arena, there are adults weeping right now. There's 40, 30, 40 year old people in this arena right now that would love to jump up and say, my God, listen to that preacher. Please listen to what that man said. In fact, they're standing right now. Because there's people sitting in this arena who are scarred. God help me preach this You see You see here's what Hosea said Hosea said You sow the wind And you reap The whirlwind Hosea 8 and 7. What does that mean? It means you blow. And you think, I got by with that. No return. So you just say, well, I'll do it again. Next thing you know, you get pretty flippant and you get arrogant and the devil tells you you're the only human being on earth that can sin and get by. And you get this attitude that says, don't judge. Don't judge me. I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing, but one writer said it like this. He said, because judgment for sin is not executed speedily. Men said it in their heart. I'm getting away with evil. The sad thing is, is God's laws are very patient. They grind so exceedingly slow that sometimes it's in those precious, beautiful children that you love so much that you realize laying in your bed one night weeping, I'm paying. I'm paying. My God, I'm paying in the thing that I love more than I love anything on earth. That's what my payment's going to be. A baby. Life. The law of the harvest is going to exact its payment out of me in my baby. My God. How bad is this going to be? And you puffed. And what you get back is a Cat 5 tornado. That seems to be determined to rip and tear everything that you love away from you and out of your life. And you pray. 
pray and you say, my God, I didn't understand what I was doing. I was young. I was arrogant. Listen to me. I will be successful in this attempt today if I can get just 10 young people to walk out of here hating sin, viewing sin as your greatest enemy, your greatest adversary. It's out to get you. So, sin scars you in your body. Sin scars you in your mind. Sin scars you in your conscience. Sin scars, essentially, essentially, you sin and you pay for it times ten. None of you can afford sin. David, one of the wealthiest men on the face of the earth that ever lived, could not afford sin. David was incredible. There's not a man alive today that could equal David. David... David marshaled some of the greatest armies that ever marched on earth. He was a soldier. He was a warrior. David, David could take a bear and just rip him apart with his hands. David could take a lion and reach in and grab him by the tail and jerk him inside out. David killed the biggest man that's ever recorded in history. Not with a sword and a spear and a shield, with a slingshot. But when David touched sin, his life went out of control. When David touched sin, his life went into a spinning skid. And he found out I'm bad. But I... And I got 16-year-olds sitting here that think you're going to wrangle it. I got, I got 17 and 18-year-olds that think you're bad to the bone. You're going to handle sin. You're, you're going to put sin in a little box. It's going to be your pet thing. It's My God, you couldn't be more deceived in this house today. You Sin, you can't handle sin. You can't handle my God, I wish the adults would roar today. If you agree with me, you can't handle sin. I want to convince somebody today to get out of the sinning business. Get out. Get out. Be seated. There's young ladies here, and i got to hurry. I'm rushing to a close. But there's young ladies here today. I'm telling you, you need, to, you need to cut it off with that worldly guy before you leave this conference house today. Cut it off. Take his name out of your contacts. End it now. I'm talking to a lady. My God, shaka I'm talking to a young lady in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm telling you, end it now. Now, you can't handle what you're up against. I'm preaching to young people today who's loading their wagon down. You're loading your wagon down. You know what sin's like? You listen to me. Sin is like releasing homing pigeons. And there's young people that release them and they think, they watch. It flaps its wings. And it goes around a bend or behind a cloud. They smile and think, I got by again. I got by again. And there's absolutely an arrogance. 
and a coolness that takes over. That's exactly what the devil wants you to think. Man, I got a deal going on here. Pastor thinks I'm awesome. Parents think I'm awesome. I'm doing all this. Everybody thinks I'm the good guy. Man, nobody on earth's ever done it like this. I've got this deal down. And I'm telling you, you listen to me. There's a day that those humming pigeons are coming. You listen to me. They're coming back. And they're bringing more with them when they come. They're coming back. Do you hear? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man. That means you can't sow weeds and reap corn. You can't sow squash and reap watermelons. You're going to reap what you sow. And I'm preaching to young people today. You're loading your wa- you're loading your wagons down right now while I'm preaching. You're loading your wagons down. The axles are groaning. They're white hot on their turning. You are loading yourself with a harvest that when it comes back, you're going to be driven to your knees under the load of it. Be seated. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to quit because I feel to. Because we need an altar call. And I don't need to have to beg for it today. Because I'm telling you there's people sitting there right now. I could tell of the preacher that was destined to be one of the greatest preachers in Pentecost. Let me make a statement before I tell it. Brother Wesley Jackson, you'll, if you think a little bit, you'll be able to figure out exactly what I'm talking about. But before I tell that story, I want to make this statement. One of the greatest lies that hell has ever vomited is the lie that says, I'm only hurting myself. I read to you of a man. I read to you of a man that his sin ripped a nation apart in four directions. One man. God says, I'm doing every bit of this and I'm blaming Manasseh. Manasseh, this is your payment for what you did. I forgave you, Manasseh. Manasseh was probably saved. But he still had to pay here. You know, the greatest kings that ever lived didn't understand this principle. I hope you can get it. I hope you can be smarter than Hezekiah. Hezekiah said, I know I'm going to pay. Just don't make me pay in my generation. Take it out on my kids. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. I, I, I don't say things like this lightly. But I'm telling you this message is a prophecy to a young lady that's sitting here today. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost. I wish I knew who you were. If you don't heed this today. A couple of years, this message will haunt you. This service will haunt you. You will wish a thousand times you could lay in this altar and turn things from the direction that your life went. I'm trying to salvage you today. I'm telling you, God has stopped a conference with hundreds of people to reach you. You can't afford what you're doing. Uh, you, you know what, right now, I wish, I wish, if you're a prayer warrior in this house, I wish you'd start praying for this altar call. 
I wish someone would start travailing right now. I'm telling you, I've preached to young men. You... I'm going to tell you, you better get that pornography off your phone. You're scarring your brain. You're scarring your mind. Listen, listen to me just a minute. Listen to me just a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give the altar call momentarily. Keep praying, prayer warriors, please. Under your breath, keep praying. I could tell about the Pentecostal preacher that lived a terrible life of sin before he got in the church. In his body lay the remains and traces of all kinds of opiates and drugs. He married a beautiful little girl that was in my youth group. Beautiful girl. I called my mother yesterday to make sure this story was correct. She gave tongues and interpretation in church. I can remember her, prayer warrior. She was spotless, lily white. She married this evangelist that had a history. God forgave him. He preached the gospel. But the remains of those drugs affected their two babies. Both of those children have had numerous surgeries. He's now in the grave at a very early age as a result of the drug use. And that mother is raising those, well, they're grown now, but raised those two children. Surgery after surgery. Surgery after surgery. Because of the scars from that father. And there's people sitting here today saying, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. In my wife's youth group, in my wife's youth group was a young man that got up 18 or 19 years old and decided, I don't want to live this. Left the church, went to Dallas. Lived a riotous life. After four or five years, he came back and prayed through and became one of the, his pastor told me the story. He said, this young man became one of the most model Young man, I ever had the privilege of pastoring. Running the aisles, preaching. Married a girl in a neighboring church that her pastor said of her in her entire life, I never saw her bobble. According to the preacher, she was a virgin when she, virtuous when she got married. They preached out. I understand the story correctly was about to buy a truck and travel trailer and hit the evangelistic field full time had a beautiful baby and he got very very sick went in the hospital got out they were going to take off again but he relapsed went back in the hospital for the sake of time I will not drag the story out but it was in and out of the hospital until finally the doctor called both of them in and set them down and said I know you're a preacher. I, I, I hate to even go here, but had either one of you been promiscuous before or inside your marriage? And he tucked his head and began to weep. He said, Yes, I was very promiscuous. He said, Then your wife needs to be tested because you're full blown with a venereal disease that, outside of a miracle of God, will take your life very shortly. The end result of that is my wife is one of the ones that gathered around his bed and sang songs the last day he was alive, dying in his early 20s. Did God forgive him? Sure he did. Was he saved? I'm sure he was. But he picked up a scar. Picked up a scar. And that young lady that was virtuous and her pastor said never bobbled the last we heard her and her baby were both in the hospital with full blown AIDS and very close to the door of death she didn't do anything except marry a guy that had a price to pay with sin 
And I'm preaching to someone today. And I hate to be violent, but inside me, I want to scream and say, Get out of the sinning business! Get out! Get out! Get out! Stand today and lift your hands. I need the prayer warriors. Please pray. My God, prayer warriors, please. I'm telling you, I preached a prophetic message. I have preached a prophetic message to somebody. I have preached a prophetic message to somebody in this house. I have preached a prophet. I'm telling you, there's young people in this house. You, there's young men. I've preached your story. If you don't repent, I've preached your... Listen, I know you love God. I know you love God. But you better hate sin. There's young people that need to come running. Come on. There's young ladies that need to come running. There's young men. You need to push your way through the crowd. My God, push people. Get violent to get in this altar. And don't pray till you feel better. Don't pray till your conscience eases. Pray until you shake sin off. Pray until you rid yourself of the shackles of sin. Come on, I need to hear some adults in this house. If you're in this house and you're scarred, if you're in this house and you know what I've preached, lift your voice. We need to hear the mothers of Zion today.